We continue our series that we started several months ago, God's Story, Our Story, and our pursuit of understanding what are all of the stories and themes and characters and ideas that we see in the Bible. Are they just random ideas from God that we're supposed to pick and choose uh, concerning how we are to live? Or do all of the stories and all the themes and all the people and all of the characters all point to one grand story? The story of stories, God's story. And then how does God's story from Genesis to Revelation shape our lives, shape our worldview, shape the way we think about our story and all of the other stories? And as we read the grand story of God from Genesis to Revelation, we will begin to see how nothing in our story and the stories of the world, all of those stories will never make sense until we understand the story of God as it's revealed to us in the Word of God. So we continue where we stopped last week by looking at the story of Cain. Remember last week, Cain and Abel, the first children of Adam and Eve, we see in their lives our worst fears realized. In Genesis chapter 3, we knew it was going to be bad, but not this bad. Brother killing brother, we saw last week, in Cain taking the life of Abel. And that's where we pick up this morning. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9 through the end. This is the word of God. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer of the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me away today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irod, and Irod the father Mahuyal, and Mahuyal father Methashiel, and Methashiel fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the, and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments, bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamach said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I've said. 
I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again and bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him to Seth, a son born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Have you ever had the opportunity to travel to see ruins, ancient ruins, wherever they might be? Whether it be ancient ruins in the Middle East or ancient ruins in, along the Mediterranean or maybe East, ancient ruins in Central or South America. You're amazed to see the, the ruins of something that was once great. To walk around the ruins of any ancient civilization is fantastic and amazing, but there's also something very sober about it, isn't there? Because as you walk around the ancient ruins of any civilization, whether it be Rome or the ancient ruins along the Mediterranean or the ancient ruins in the Middle East or the ancient ruins throughout Central and South America, you're reminded that once stood something great. But for whatever reason, some poor decisions along the way, this civilization, once great, now lies in utter ruin. Brothers and sisters, what we see here in Genesis chapter 4 is the ruin of a civilization. You see, the sin that enters into the world in Genesis chapter 3, just one chapter later, Genesis chapter 4, a civilization, a world with humanity created in the image of God, a world that was meant to be cultivated and flourishing for all humanity so quickly, Here in Genesis 4, we see a world turned upside down and a world turned inside out. We see the effects of sin and darkness and brokenness because of the sin of our first parents. Ruin enters the world and it does not just destroy one person's life. The effects of this ruin are widespread, sweeping, and they're great. Before we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's look at the ruin that comes into the world because of sin here in Genesis chapter 4. The first thing that we see in the passage that we just read is a life in ruin. We see a life in ruin. It's the life of Cain. We talked about last week that Cain, out of jealousy and out of rage and out of anger for God blessing his brother Abel and withholding his favor from Cain. Cain responds by not listening to God and not living in obedience to God. Remember, God even approaches Cain. And he says, Cain, sin is what? Crouching at your door. God even gives Cain an, a, another chance Change your way or sin will destroy you. And what does Cain do? In all audacity, shakes his fist at God and says, in response to the question, what happened to your brother? What have you done? He shakes his fist at God and in the almost audacious response says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? 
It's as if Cain is saying, I don't know and I don't care. And we see a life spiraling out of control. We see the life of Cain in utter ruin. A life that was created in the image of God now saying to God, I will live my life my way. God, you will not be the center of my life. In verses 9 through 16, we see his life in utter and complete ruin. It is the epitome of a self-centered life versus a God-centered life that God has created us to live. No longer will man be seeking first the kingdom of God, but from now on, Cain will serve as the example of a life that says, I will seek first my life and my kingdom. I will be the center of my life and my universe. Cain will serve as the epitome of a life that is self-absorbed, a life that is all about me. I do not care, God, what you have to say about how I am called to live. And Cain is punished for it. And we have been experiencing the consequences of the ruin of sin and a self-centered, man-centered life ever since Genesis chapter 3 and 4. So that even our best acts, our best practices are still consumed with you. You don't believe me? Coming to church on Sunday morning. It's a wonderful thing. God calls each and every one of you to gather together. But I guarantee you, I promise you, because of sin and because of the fall, myself included, somebody in this crowd will leave here this morning going, it's too cold, it was too hot, the music was too loud. He talks too fast. He's going to talk about that at Christmas time. And the list will go on and on and on and on. Even coming to church will be an example of the self-centeredness of humanity from Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4. And it's in verse 13 where Cain finally wakes up to alight his life that is in utter ruin. And what does he say in verse 13? He cries out to God and he says, my punishment, my punishment is too great. It's too much to bear. You see, he's not sad because he got caught. He's sad because he can't handle the consequences. Because then what happens? One of the scariest verses in all the Bible, verse 16, Cain, who was created to live in perfect fellowship with God, what does it say in verse 16? Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, what does it profit a man if he was to gain the whole world? And have not God. Cain is waking up to the reality of what it looks like to do life without God. Cain is waking up to the consequences of what it looks like to say me first and God second. Cain is waking up to the crazy reality and the consequences of saying my life for me. God has no business meddling in my life. Brothers and sisters, It is crazy, absolute absurd to do life without God. We see here, would you heed the warning and the example of Cain of what happens to a man, what happens to a person who chooses to live their life 
without God. But we not only see a life in ruin, but our second thing that we see here in this passage is we see a society in ruin. In verses 17 through 24, we see that Cain's decision to live his life apart from God not only affects him, but it takes an entire city, an entire society, and the entire culture of the world downward. We see the ruin of society and culture. You see, just in a few, ver- just a few chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 1, humanity is given the, the distinct privilege of being created in God's image. We're given the creation and the cultural mandate to go and to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth, to fill the earth, to, to, to have dominion over the earth as the representatives of God here on earth for the flourishing of the world so that the whole world would know and see and treasure and experience the glory of God. But because of sin... Humanity still has the function of Genesis chapter 1, but because of sin and because of the fall, the entire function of humanity is turned upside down. You see, humanity still are culture-shaping, culture-making creatures, but they are no longer here in Genesis chapter 4 shaping culture and shaping the world according to the glory of God, but we see humanity now shaping the world according to the glory of humanity. And we have been suffering the consequences, and if we're honest, aiding in this advancement of the glory of man over the glory of God ever since Genesis chapter 4. You don't believe me? Just look at what happens and how a whole city, a whole society, and a whole culture is destroyed by the ruin of sin. Verse 17, for instance, they attempt to do what? Build a city and offer it to the glory of God? What happens in verse 17? Cain knew his wife, they bore Enoch, and instead of building a city to the glory of God, who do they name it after? They name it after Enoch. This becomes the the example for the rest of history of the parallel city. The city that was should have been dedicated to God, the city of God that God desired in the garden, that his people would shape culture and shape cities according to the glory of God. Now we have humanity building cities, not for God's glory, but for the glory of man. We see culture not only reflecting the glory of God, but culture from Genesis 4 on revealing and pointing to the glory of this world. Can I just say, as a side note, when I hear people say, we need to go back, we need to go back to the 1950s and 1940s, we didn't have all these problems, I go, are you kidding me? We don't need to go back to the 1950s. We need to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. These, the problem and the ruin of sin and the world has existed 
from Genesis 3 and 4. So we do not need to turn the clock back to another generation. We need to turn the clock back to Genesis 1 and 2. That's why we as a church are committed to equipping gospel-centered, culture-shaping Christians that bring heaven to earth in everything they do in fulfillment of the calling of God on their life. What do they do in verse 17? No longer do they hold up the name of the Lord and for his glory and honor, but what they attempt to do is make a name for themselves. The city of Enoch, Genesis chapter 11, just a few chapters later, we'll see in the Tower of Babel, then what? We will build a city that reaches to the heavens to make a name for ourselves. And we have been doing it ever since. Our lives revolve around one goal, if we're honest, to make our names great. And it is the sick reality of the ruin of sin that has come into our world. Not only do they attempt to make a name for themselves, we see the ruin of the society in verse 19. What happens in verse 19? Lamech took one wife, just according to the design of God. No, we see even the redefinition of marriage, the arrogance of Lamech to say he knows the word of God and to say, God, I know your plan and your definition for marriage and family is perfect, but I have a better design and I have a better definition for marriage. And we see Lamech say, one wife, no, I know that's your plan, God, but we even see the redefinition of the pattern of marriage in the family. This is, this is humanity's attempt to say this. God's design for my life in the world is not adequate. It is not adequate. I define that which is true. I define that which is right. Could you imagine living in a culture like that? What would it be like to live in a culture where humanity says God's plan and design is not best? but we will take matters into our own hands. What would be the ramifications for that culture to live in such a world like that? It is truly scary. It is truly scary one. You see, what Cain does is he eventually, he and his family, in their attempt to make a name for themselves, an attempt to redefine marriage and family, an attempt to redefine God's design for the world. How does it, the story eventually end? In verse 24, we see the embrace of violence in our world, where all of this culminates into this vicious, ugly reality in which Cain says, somebody wronged me and I killed them. Because Cain's revenge is sevenfold, but Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold which means is symbolic in the Bible for going on forever. And we see from then on this ugly pattern of viciousness and ugliness and bitterness between humanity that was created in God's image to live in perfect harmony for one another. What we see here from verses 17 through 24 is humanity turned upside down and inside out. An entire society, an entire culture, an entire world is left in utter ruin. And let me say something on a very personal note. If you're a parent here this morning, or you're a grandparent, 
Do not underestimate for one second the commitment that you are making by committing your lives to God and raising your family according to the word of God and according to the truth of God. Do you not read in Genesis chapter 4 that one man and his decision to not follow God and not obey God did not just affect him as an individual, but it affected an entire generation generation to generation of men and women that would turn their back on God just as Cain refused to live in obedience to God. What do we see here in verse 17 through 24? Generation after generation of men and women that choose to live in disobedience to God. And just as it never, sin never affects just one individual, but a generation of individuals so too your commitment to the Lord as a family. Your family and your children and your children's children will reap the benefits. Just as sin is wide-reaching and wide-sweeping from generation to generation, so is your commitment to Jesus. As a mother and a father, as a grandparent, your commitment to Jesus is far-reaching and wide-sweeping as well. And I cannot challenge you enough that if you are a new family, if you are a new couple, if you are a new parents, that you would make the decision early to follow God and that you would see the blessing to your family from one generation to the other. But what we see here is utter ruin and utter chaos. As As if we didn't learn our lesson As if we didn't learn our lesson in Genesis 3 and 4, we ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, not only experience ruin in our lives every single day, but we add to it. We aid in this ruin in our world, and it's inescapable. You and I wake up every single day, and we experience and we aid in the ruin that we see here and the life of Cain, and the life of his descendants from one generation to the next. This world, this culture, this society, our families, our finances, every single one of us have been touched by tragedy and ruin, and we experience it every single day. And it leaves us with this question. Is there any hope Is there any hope in a world and a culture and even my life, you might find yourself this morning in utter ruin? And the question that begs us, is there hope? Is there hope in the midst and in light of such ruin? And it's at the end of this passage that we see two of the most hopeful verses in the Bible. And it's in these two verses that we see lastly the reversal of ruin. In verse 25 and 26, it says, Adam knew his wife and gave birth to a boy named Seth. And Seth would give birth to a boy named Enosh. And he and his family would call upon the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, in verse 25 and 26, they tell us this, that yes, 
we might live in a world of ruin, and that yes, our world might be dark, but verses 25 and 26 tell us God is not done. That yes, Cain might kill his brother, but God's plan will not be killed. That Cain might bring more ruin and more destruction into this world from generation to generation. But verses 25 and 26, in the birth of Seth and in the birth of Enosh, that God is still on the move. So regardless where you find yourself this morning, regardless of how bad your ruin might be, God is not done God is on the move and he builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Cain killed Abel, but he can't kill the seed of the woman. He cannot kill the seed of God's faithful. What God promises us here in verse 25 and 26 is that Abel might be killed, but God's people will never be destroyed. That God will always have a people for himself, a people that are set apart, who do not build the city of man, but who do what in verse 26? They build the city of God. But not only does verse 25 and 26 promise that God will always have a people that will call upon the name of the Lord, but verse 25 and 26 promises that God will always have a person because it would be through the line of Seth and it would be through the line of Enosh that thousands of years later, the seed of the woman would come from this line and his name would be Jesus. He would come from the line of Seth and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And what does this one do? He comes into the world, the chosen son of God, but he takes on the curse of Cain. How does he take on the curse of Cain? We're told in the scriptures that Emmanuel, Jesus, comes into the world and he has no home. We're told like Cain is hunted and killed and in the final chapter of Jesus' life on the cross, he loses God and he's banished from the presence of the Lord. And he does that for anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, your life apart from God has no chance but ending in ruin. And your life apart from God is deserving of nothing more and nothing less than than banishment from the presence of the Lord. But then, but then, Jesus, through the line of Seth and Enosh, comes into the world to take on your curse of banishment so that you and I might forever live in the presence of God. Let me close with this. Nicholas Kristof, columnist for the New York Times, a self-avowed progressive liberal and agnostic, wrote this several years ago in the New York Times. He said, in these polarized times, few words conjure as much distaste in liberal circles as the phrase evangelical Christian. But then he went on to write this. But 
evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their incomes to charities, mostly church-related. They go to the front lines at home or abroad in the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, obstetric fistula, human trafficking or genocide. And some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians who truly live out their faith. He then goes on to write, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of all those I've seen risking their lives in this way, and it sickens me to see that faith mocked. Nicholas Kristof. Brothers and sisters, Cain mocked God. For centuries, the world has mocked God, but we are told that God will not be mocked. And you might be sitting here this morning and saying, my life in utter ruin is insurmountable. My life in utter ruin has no hope. And brother and sister, I am here to tell you with confidence that for all those who call upon the name of the Lord, God will have the final laugh in your life. God will not be mocked in your life. You can bank on that because 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to do the impossible, to reverse the curse of ruin, but not just for the world in general but for you as an individual. So no matter what you are facing here this morning, would you turn to the one who reverses the curse? Would you turn to the one this morning who took on the curse of Cain that you and I deserve? Would you turn to the one who is banished by God so that you and I might forever have a relationship with God? Would you admit Admit, be daring to admit this morning that it is absolute absurdity to do your life without him, a life that leads to utter ruin and with all those that follow behind, or a life of promised hope, knowing Jesus who enters into the world to save the least of these, the Jesus who bears the curse of Cain so that you and I could forever be embraced as beloved children of the Father.